millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 32, we discuss the pros and cons of the video assistant referee system, our thoughts on the TV coverage of the Confederations Cup thus far, and our memories of a man who was a pioneer in US soccer who died this week. Plus, as always, we've got lots of feedback and questions from you, the listeners. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, how are you, sir? I'm doing okay, Chris. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, For those uh, listeners uh, who noticed a a difference with the audio last week, uh, and also probably uh, this week's show too, uh, I'm on location. I'm in Wales on on vacation, but uh, I've still been watching as many matches as I can while I'm on holiday. Uh, while spending a lot of time with my, my relatives and catching up uh, on my old hunting grounds. I'm actually right now recording this from my town where I grew up as a boy, uh, Landailo in Wales. And uh, it's been hot as hell all week. It's been in the 90s, uh, but today's the first day of rain. So this feels like it's uh, I'm back at home after about 30, 30 odd years. So Kartik, let, let's dive right into what we've been watching and I'll have you kick it off. Um, I, I'll just kind of add a uh, disclaimer. So I haven't watched a ton of matches this week, but I, ha- I have been able to watch both um, a couple of the Confederations Cup games and uh, both from the ITV as well as Univision, I mean, I'm sorry, Telemundo and FS1. So I have been able to watch uh, both sides of the pond for a couple of matches, but I'll, I'll have you kick it off in terms of what you've been watching this week. Yeah, I haven't been able to watch a whole lot either, just because there hasn't been a whole lot on. It's uh, the offseason in Europe and in Liga MX, the leagues that uh, we've probably watched the closest outside the United States. So um, big news, obviously, right after we, we, we recorded the pod last week was the Ronaldo speculation. And I was uh, stunned to see it make the mainstream news uh, here in the United States. It was on CNN. Uh, when they did their little short sports segment uh, during their their newscasts uh, in the morning uh, U.S. time, which uh, generally revolve around the latest uh, gossip from uh, American football or the American uh, or the NBA finals, etc., uh, it was about Ronaldo. And then uh, uh, when I was uh, watching ESPN uh, FC, it was the first thing on the lead. And when I was watching the U.S. Open golf tournament, which I watched all of last weekend on Fox. Uh, uh, it was, uh, well, the, the, the periods of time when that tournament was on FS1, it was the number one story glaring in, in people's faces, uh, even on the ticker on FS1. So uh, a reminder that uh, while soccer is not necessarily a mainstream sport among American media, if it involves Cristiano or involves Lionel Messi, I think those two exceptions, uh, it will it will penetrate and it will break through, uh, which is um, maybe another talking point for MLS in Miami. I know we did that a couple weeks ago, but yeah. uh, Cristiano comes to the United States. You can imagine the reaction. Um, I ended up watching this past weekend more golf, uh, the U.S. Open on Fox, uh, and it's the only tournament all your Fox shows, PGA Tour event, uh, that um, then – actual football, but it was important, Chris, because it was a reminder for me about how Fox presents sporting events. They were awful. If you compare them to um, the kind of coverage you get on CBS and NBC, the other two networks that cover golf extensively and and have the major championships, CBS has the Masters and the PGA Championship, uh, NBC 
BC has the Open, the British British Open, as it's known in the U.S., but the Open Championship and the uh, Players' Championship, which is the biggest regular tour event that's held in Jacksonville every year. Uh, so they have, uh, of the five big events, the, each of those two networks have two, uh, two and two. Uh, just a contrast in commentary style, graphics, um, music, outtakes, uh, the uh, hyping of certain events, the, um, the intro segments, the outro segments, all of that. Um, it wasn't identical to the way Fox covers soccer, but it was similar in its differences um, to how NBC and CBS and the Golf Channel, Golf Channel is a Comcast network, so it's, uh, its coverage kind of mirrors NBC's, um, cover the sport. And it's that's a similar situation as we have in soccer, where Fox's coverage, the outtakes, the intakes, the way they hype certain segments, the way they hype certain people, the production quality um, mirrors that of uh, of um of um excuse me of uh, of ESPN uh, or is is different than that of ESPN and NBC in soccer right. uh, dramatically different and the thing i found is when i made comments on social media about ESPN uh, excuse me about fox's golf coverage people who um aren't necessarily soccer fans were agreeing with me about oh this is terrible this is setting golf back 20 years uh, we haven't had coverage like this since the 1990s and um, it just is a reminder Fox does things differently. Now, maybe that um, caters to a certain audience. Maybe that there, there is a constituency for that. And mm-hmm. um, golf snobs and soccer snobs don't like it. But um, they, they do things differently. And I, I can say the same thing about college football and college basketball when I've watched those sports. They, they present, they, their presentation of those sports is very different than the way ESPN uh, or NBC or CBS presents those sports. So Yeah, and, it, and it's something, too, I think that uh, it's, it's within it's, – it's inside uh, – Fox's DNA. So it's not just the soccer coverage, like you're saying right now, too, in terms of golf or whether it's NFL. But it's interesting, too, because Fox would argue, well, look at the, the, the incredible TV ratings we got for the Women's World Cup. And look at the millions of people that tuned in to, the, to watch those games and watch the final. My argument is, is that they're not tuning in because it's Fox, but they're tuning in because it's a big football match and they will watch it and enjoy it. Um, but it's not, it doesn't, it's not a reflection of Fox's coverage. It's just that, you know, if it's a Champions League final, people want to tune in and find out, okay, whoever has the rights to it, they'll tune in and watch that game. And, and I think sometimes Fox has kind of looked at those big numbers that they have got for the, the Women's World Cup and were, I mean, very, I mean, to us, you and me, Kartik, very lucky that they got the U.S. in the final. And of course the U.S. went on to win it, but I think it does, uh, color, their perception, uh, d- distort their perception, where they think, okay, wow, whatever we're doing, let's do more of that because it's been, it's, it's working. And I have to be honest with you, during the Women's World Cup, I was switching the channel after the games to ESPN, and they would have an ESPN FC special, Julie Foudy, uh, Kate McGrath. Uh, we'll talk about both of them later because of uh, Tony DeCicero's passing, obviously, uh, this week. Uh, tragic news here from the States. But uh, th- I was getting better analysis on ESPN of the Women's World Cup, mm-hmm. quite honestly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so let's move on to um, Confederations Cup on Fox and on Telemundo. Uh, the Russia-New Zealand game I watched on Telemundo. That was the opener of the tournament. Uh, Andres Cantor, Manuel Sol, I thought they were very, very good. Um, Cantor, uh, I, I mean, he, he follows football like few others in the media in the United States. I mean, he, he had a lot of knowledge uh, of the New Zealand team. And, and of guys playing their trade in the, in the English championship, et cetera. And, and as well as Russia, who's the host country, you'd expect them to, to, to bone up on Russia. Manuel Sol made some very, very poignant points. Um, it's good to watch. It's, in, it's improving my Spanish. Um, I then after that had to go broadcast a game um, in NPSL, Miami Fusion and Boca Raton FC. So I didn't really get to, I had to cut out for the post game coverage. Uh, Mexico, Portugal, the next day, I watched completely on Telemundo. The coverage was excellent. Uh, they had a three man booth. Uh, Contour and Sol were joined by Carlos Hermosillo. Uh, their studio coverage began about an hour and a half before the game. Uh, they had a, a really extensive post game set, and uh, they, did, they did a good job uh, for that game. Obviously, um, the Contour's goal call of uh, mm-hmm. the, the equalizer for Mexico in, in stoppage 
charm, second half stoppage charm has gone viral. Um, a thing I noticed is that when Fox the next day during their broadcast played the highlights uh, of that game, you could hear that goal call bleeding through. So I think they may have been taking <laughs> clips from Telemundo, um, honestly. Uh, so the next day... Um, wait, wait, oh, wait, wait, so wait, 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 So Because so, 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 I, I, I watched this match too. So let me, let me just chime in with my feedback on this one. So um, I agree with you with the Andres Canto goal call. I mean, it was just stupendous. I mean, watching that and seeing, you mean know, a great game and Mexico coming back to equalize. But Cantor, it was kind of uh, just fantastic to listen to that. I did watch um, FS1 for, for portions of the game. And I must say that uh, listening to the, the commentary by Kobe Jones and Navarro, uh, Jorge Navarro, it was awful. It was really, really bad. And I like, I mean, Kobe Jones uh, was and, and is one of my favorite all-time U.S. players. Um just a player I respect and, and just gave so much to the, the U.S. national team. But from a, a co-commentary point of view, just awful. Very, very basic commentary. Uh, at one point in the game, I think it was uh, Navarro asked Kobe, so so what does Portugal or Mexico need to do better to get back into this game? And, and uh, Kobe's response was, they need to gain more possession and play better. And, and that's something that's such a basic level of analysis. Uh, that's something that any layperson or anyone that's new to soccer could look at any game. And, and, and actually, I think in much of that game, Mexico was controlling possession, by the way. Right, right, exactly. And to me, to me, it's such, such a basic level of analysis that, yes, that's true, but that doesn't add heighten or, or add to, as a color commentator, you need to kind of be raising the bar and looking at more than just, just that. And yes, it was true, but it could have been so much more. Navarro was... Um, I like his goal call was fantastic. Other than that, um, I wasn't impressed at all. So it's he's Spanish is his first language, English is his second language, and at times just um, very very conversational, very very just talking as the game's going on. And I'm trying to concentrate on the game. But Chris, we had this issue in, during the uh, 2013 Confederations Cup with ESPN and Fernando Palomo calling games, right? Yeah, that yeah. was uh, right. a similar thing, calling Mexico games specifically. And uh, they, them using uh, Ian Dark and uh, whoever he was paired with, Taylor Pullman or Steve McManaman. I can't recall who it was for that tournament, but uh, on on Spain games and on games that, that, that didn't involve Italy, I think was in that tournament as well, didn't involve um mexico they were using dark or, or their typical team mm-hmm. uh, adrian healy whoever else uh, Derek ray but they uh they used palomo specifically for the mexico games in 2013 and i think it had the same uh kind of uh effect uh, the difference being if i remember correctly was he paired with alejandro moreno who of course is very yeah. is very analytical and very good in uh in english and obviously does a show every night in english i mean ESPN FC. Yeah. So maybe that was uh, uh, definitely better than Kobe Jones. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing, I, th- I think, with Navarro. Um, I mean, Navarro, which was a kind of the two of them together, it, it was bad. It was uh, Kobe Jones wasn't good at all. Neither was Navarro. Putting the, the two together, Navarro's commentary just se- seemed like more of a, a radio, radio commentary because he was describing basic things that were happening on the pitch, like so and so, I mean, I don't know, Hector Moreno uh, stops the ball. Okay, well, we can see that. We're watching the same broadcast that you're watching. But let's add some add some color to this. It can kind of mix it up a bit. Um, but yeah, just very very not impressed with that. Uh, I was able to watch ITV at the same time, so I was switching back and forth and and, and Telemundo. So I was kind of watching all three. Uh, ITV it was interesting to watch. Uh, they had uh, Mark Pugach, who is the the host of the show. Uh, Danny Higginbotham on the co commentary. Uh, Clive Tilsley for the, uh, the 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 main commentary, and then the halftime analysis by uh, Jimmy Floyd for Hasselbank and Lee Dixon. Lee Dixon, of course, uh, from NBC fame. And uh, the analysis was good. Um, they had uh, a halftime. They had a, a kind of a segment on the video assistant referee, which we'll get into a little bit later. But they, they analyzed the disallowed goal from Pepe and um, kind of looked closer at that in terms of whether that was a correct decision or not. Um, the other thing, interesting thing is when they came back from break, um, they came back uh, just right before the halftime uh, kickoff. And this is something I haven't seen in a while, but they had the... The, the cameras were in the players' tunnel at, uh, for the second half. Um, and I was watching FS1 at the same time uh, on my laptop. And they kind of came back maybe a minute or two later and uh, just had the players kind of walking onto the pitch. So you had about an extra minute or two of um, halftime analysis as the players entering the pitch. 
from from Hasselbank, which was which was a, a little bit of a difference, but I enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, uh, over, overall, the, well, before I go on, Cartagena, anything more to add about this game? Because I do want to mention uh, talk about about Ian Wright for a second, also. Yeah, I, I want to mention that that same day, Cameroon Chile was bumped to FS2, and I. Th- that that's uh, a concern a lot of fans are going to have. Uh, there was a NASCAR event going on and the U.S. Open, uh, which contractually they have to show on Fox over the year. That's, that's completely understandable. Uh, and FS1 had the NASCAR race, and I think they're contractually obligated to show that on FS1. So that's worth noting for the future. It will be the only time uh, they have that conflict. Let's say it happens during the World Cup next next year will be that, that one time slot on a Sunday afternoon, which would probably Probably be the first or second weekend of the tournament, uh, maybe the first, uh, like it is for the Confederations Cup. Uh, but it's just worth noting that uh, that they, they don't they, they don't have the bandwidth that one weekend because they have U.S. Open coverage, which is they as I said they don't cover golf. Mm-hmm. They have the USGA deal, so they have one tournament a year. Or they you know they show the U.S. Amateur and things that are, are less that don't necessarily have to be on Fox over the air. But um, for golf. Golf uh, people are accustomed to network coverage, particularly for majors. Um, so they have to show that on Fox. There's no way of saying and buts about that. And yeah. you can't show uh, three hours on Fox and three hours on FS1. That has to be the entire afternoon block has to be taken up on Fox over the year. Um, next summer, we do have a World Cup. We've already heard from Fox that there will be a record number of games on Fox over the year. Uh, they will have uh, much more accessible coverage. It's implied than ESPN did. ESPN and ABC did. Um, this is a bit of a red flag, but I, again, it's just one weekend. It's one time slot. I, I think once you get past the U S open, they're probably wide open on Fox over the air. Yeah. The, the issue really here is, is FS2 as far as accessibility. And there's still a lot of people in the U S that don't have uh, FS2 mostly. Right, right. FS2 is not ESPN2. It's not even ESPNU in terms of, uh, uh, or ESPN news in terms of numbers and accessibility. Right. Distribution. Exa- exactly. And FS2, if you're a Comcast subscriber, chances are you don't have it, except in some places, some places, some Comcast do have FS2. But uh, luckily, I guess that I mean Cameroon against uh, Chile. I mean that's a pretty big game. But if it was if it was I don't know Mexico against Portugal, I mean people would have been screaming and shouting a lot louder. I'm sure. Um, so one more thing to add about that that Mexico uh, game against uh, Portugal is um, I didn't catch a lot of the the pre match or halftime or post match analysis from Fox, but I did catch uh, halftime, and that was with uh, Ian Wright. Uh, in the studio there with uh, alongside Alexi Lalas and Rob Stone. And uh, the one thing I thought that uh, Ian Wright, he looked very laid back. He was, um, it was strange to watch because on the Fox studio set, whether it's Champions League or FA Cup or MLS, they're very, you know, it looks very professional. And uh, Ian Wright had like a really short shirt. It was either too short or too tight. And he was like maybe a couple of feet uh, back from the actual desk, uh, leaning back, just very relaxed. And it was a different vibe than what you usually used to see in body language wise. But um, that apart, if you just listen to his analysis, I thought he was spot on. He had some good good things to, to add uh, to, to the conversation. Uh, but de- definitely a different dynamic there um, in that set, studio, yeah, uh, studio setup. Holiday in LA for them, uh, for, for, for Ian Wright, no doubt. So Australia, Germany was the next day. I switched back and forth between uh, uh, Telemundo and uh, Fox for this one. Uh, John Strong is always top drawer, really good. Uh, Stu, he carries Stu Holden a bit, I think. I think Holden makes good points. It's it's just that his voice and his cadence isn't quite uh, quite there. That's maybe something that, that that comes with time, or we just get used to it. Uh, Cantor and Solik. And had the call for Telemundo. They were excellent. Um, I thought the Fox studio was very weak at halftime with uh, with Wright, Friedrich, and Alexi Lalas. But then post game, I thought they were really good. I, I mean, and I and I would say Ian Wright was really good, and Alexi Lalas was really good. If Friedrich is uh, is is becoming a bit of a throwaway, and, and um, Fox's efforts to integrate Germans on on these telecasts are. are kind of falling flat because it's the same thing with both Armateus. Uh when it's been he, Kate Abdo, and Eric Winalda, uh, he's just given very, uh, I, I don't think it's been particularly good. Waldo, as usual, has been very good. Um, they're, by the way, in St. Petersburg. They're on location. Uh, Heating has come in when Germany is not playing. So the other days, Heating has been there and I think has been much stronger and given stronger points. Um, Heating 
as a manager, we know, and I, I used to say this when we used to analyze games that Heating would get a uh, would get a pass a lot of times from the English language media because he spoke English so well and was so engaging in English, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I thought was overrated. It is a manager in many of his stints, uh, including Russia and, and uh, Australia. I, I think he did kind of the bare minimum with them. South Korea, he was outstanding, no, no doubt about it. But um, I, I felt like he was always very engaging in English and could storytell in English in a way that charmed the media. We're seeing that again on Fox's broadcast. He's, ver- he's very good. He's very engaging. Um, I want to bring up this new tool Fox has because I do think that this is this is great. This is a good innovation. This is something I'm looking forward to seeing used next year by them. Uh, Rob Stone walked us through it after the Australia Germany game. It is called Fox View, and it's um, it's a metric or some sort of tool that is going to create a metric to track bypass defenders by attacking players, which is an important statistic that is not accounted for uh, in, in, in the sport. Uh, the, the stats we get are things like shots, shots on target, possession. I, I don't want to say they're largely meaningless because they're not, but they don't necessarily tell you the story of a match. This m- might help, um, not on its own, but might help enhance that storytelling based on the statistics that are already being kept. So uh, Rob Stone watched, walked us through the set where they're going to be uh, implementing that. I think they had kept some numbers from that Germany Australia game, but it seemed like it was a more uh, World Cup oriented project and uh, kudos to Fox for that. That's Something that I think will, will enhance our viewing experience and might even shift some people back from from Telemundo to Fox if uh, they're able to get that system up and running. So, so context. So, so I, I didn't see this. So, this is so it analyzes how effective an attacker is against the defense, not just based on shots on goal, but based on other I mean, whether it's dri- dribbling or possession or how does it work ex- exactly? Yeah, it's going to be based on on uh, dribbling and possession. Huh. And bypassing just kind of the bypassing of defenders. Okay, yeah. So that could be that could be interesting. I have to keep an eye out for that uh, when I get back to the states uh, now, next now week. I haven't actually seen the, the the metric implemented yet, and how uh, and and how you compare the teams and and what necessarily they do. But uh, Rob Stone introduced it on air, and it seems very very promising. Um, oh, and one other thing I should mention, and I guess um, I don't. Um, maybe we'll save this for the VA. Our segment, but it's been very useful that Fox has Dr. Joe Matchnik in studio <laughs> during this implementation phase of VAR. He's been almost the most most valuable player, if you want to call him that, the man of the match for uh, for Fox. Uh, alongside, I would uh, I'll just jump ahead and finish my my uh, viewing now. I think Ali Wagner has been fantastic. I would love to see her uh, given the shot to be paired with John Strong and make that the top team based on the analysis she's given uh, both here and on Lifetime with NWSL and the back Women's World Cup. Uh, I'm not quite sure she fits the role of uh, on that, that show with Fiore and, and uh, Lawless, which, by the way, I have not watched once during this, uh, this tournament. I know they're doing it every night, but I have not watched it yet once. I really don't have any interest, uh, any need to do so, um, based on what happened last, uh, last summer with the Confederations Cup. But I think she, uh, Ali Wagner makes a good partner for whoever she's paired with. Now, J.P. Delacamera is one of the best in the business uh, and uh, he's obviously uh, helping to bring out the best in her but uh, i would love to see her paired with john strong on the first team at some point uh just to get a feel of for how that team might 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 work and heck fox could break through and have our first uh uh, uh lead female co-commentator uh for a world cup uh, julie Foudy was once the lead studio analyst for espn in, in a world cup studio uh, or lead american studio analyst at least the only american in the studio then but um she would be the first co-commentator potentially cool very cool yeah yeah it'd be great to see and, and I've, I've been hearing lots of great things too about Annie wagner uh we have an article actually on, on the homepage of worldsoccertalk.com that goes into more detail and says why uh we believe that she should be calling the world cup games uh, as a co-commentator a co-commentator with the broadcasting team next summer um well another game i watched this uh this week was mexico against new zealand um this one i watched uh, mostly on itv uh, pre-match, uh, they had uh, it was hosted again by Mark Pugach, and uh, they had uh, the analysts in the studio were Glenn Hoddle and Matthew Upson. 
And that Matthew Upson, I haven't heard of uh, in quite some time, and I thought he did a fantastic job uh, providing his analysis. Uh, part of the segment that they discussed, uh, they focused on, was a discussion of the uh, the new proposed uh, rule changes or recommendations uh, to the game of uh, sport of football, soccer. Uh, that was a good segment. Uh, the match itself, the commentary was uh, from ITV was uh, Joe Spate, uh, who we're used to hearing on Premier League broadcasts quite often, and then Ian Dowie. And Ian Dowie in the past has been pretty uh, average, I would say, as far as co-commentary, but I thought he did pretty well that here he's he's improved a lot, uh, come a long way since uh, when he first started out co-commentating a few years ago. Uh, on the FS1 broadcast, it was Navarro and Kobe Jones again. Um, same feedback as uh, for the Mexico-Portugal game, very conversational, not a lot of focus on the game itself. And when there was focus on the game itself, it was just really kind of just basic level of analysis and commentary. Um, and not much focus on the game itself. And uh, last but not least, uh, another great goal call this time by Navarro once again. So that he has going for him, kind of a it's a little bit, it's definitely a different style than Andres Cantor. Um, and it's just interesting to listen to the goal calls from uh, from Telemundo and from FS1, and then compare that to ITV because <laughs> the ITV one is very English, it's very understated, it's very you know it's got some excitement in there, but the Telemundo and FS1 uh, goal calls just blow him out of the, of the water <laughs> to a whole other extreme. So, so that's always interesting to, to compare the two there. Kartik, before we move on, any other uh, any thoughts on the games that you've been watching this week? Uh, no, that's about it. I mean, I think the most uh, striking thing to me uh, about the Confederations Cup, and, and this is the Confederations Cup, it's not the World Cup, it's not the Euro, it's not Copa America, is um, I turn on ESPN FC every night, and it's uh, transfer coverage. And of course, we've had the Ronaldo saga, which which obscures everything else in, in, in the football world, right? Yeah. Uh, or if it's really a saga, we, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I mean, my, my betting money is that he just stays at Real Madrid, but that's, <laughs> no, that's me. Yeah. Um, but every night, I didn't watch last night yet, uh, off my DVR, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, even while Gab Marcotti has been at the Confederations Cup and they brought him in to discuss these transfer stories, particularly R- Ronaldo and petit- uh, potentially Mbappe and Ab- Young, uh, it- it's been, uh, that's been what's driving at-, at least ESPN's coverage of the sport uh, while the Confederations Cup is going on. And I think that reminds us that this very much is a second-tier tournament and just a dry run for the World Cup, as much for the broadcasters in this country, Telemundo and uh, and uh, Fox over uh, over where you are right now, uh, ITV and BBC. Uh, although I think it's just ITV showing this uh, tournament, correct? Um, That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's as much a dry run for that for them and for the uh, and for the teams involved, etc., as it is a, a serious uh, football and competition. But there's still been some good football. Yeah, and. Um, a lot to uh, a lot to digest, and a lot to digest in terms of video assistant referee, which we will get to shortly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and uh, for the dry runs, I mean, ITV looks pretty solid. Uh, FS1, I've seen basically spotty levels of coverage here and there. Uh, I have not been impressed thus far. And uh, Telemundo, um, I haven't had a chance to watch much of the the shoulder programming or the the, the actual coverage of the games, but uh, the, the game calls themselves, with especially with Andres Cantor, have been uh, uh, top draw. Yeah, one thing about Fox, I have to get this in. Sorry, I have to complain. Is that uh, even though they've sent him to Russia, Eric Winalda is not being utilized enough. That's my uh, hmm. that's that's my opinion. And if. Uh, it, it, I don't know if there's a reason for it, but uh, I, I seem to have this complaint a lot about uh, Fox's utilization of, of, of Waldo specifically. And if that doesn't change for the World Cup, I think there are going to be a lot of unhappy people. I, I, I think he, the, 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 the viewer that Fox is not able to engage with uh, because of the way they, they present their coverage and the type of, uh, let's say, biases some of their other commentators have. The um, people who complain often about Fox, a lot of that is negated if, if, if Winalda has a more prominent role, because I think he is much more in touch with those people who are critics of, of the U.S. soccer system, yeah. uh, the style of, of presentation uh, of soccer in the United States, etc., um, and I, I also think his analysis is probably more sound than most of the people they have. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it's something they might want to think about going into next summer. 
Yeah, to me, to me, Winalda's uh, tuned in with soccer fans. He's on the same level as many of us listeners. Uh, again, a lot of people hate him, a lot of people love him, but I think he's he's tuned into that. Lalas is tuned into what Garber wants or what Garber says in MLS headquarters, and to me, is very much removed from the average soccer fans about what average soccer fans think. And and Winalda, especially from the coaching perspective, and having played the game at, at the highest level. Uh, can read games extremely well, very similar to Taylor Twelman, a different style, but that level. And uh, when you when you say that Winalda's not been used enough in the Confederations Cup, Kartik, do you mean in terms of airtime or just the, the, the types of questions they're asking him? No, airtime. I, I think the questions that are being asked of him are better because it's uh, Kate Abdo as opposed to Rob Stone. Mm-hmm. Although I have to say Rob Stone, I think, has been, uh, has been pretty good during this tournament. He's brought out... Uh, a very good analysis out of uh, Ian Wright with the questions asked. And I think just Ian Wright, he's a pro at this and is good. And we've seen Ian Wright um, on any number of things right here in the States, including documentaries that Gary Lineker has done for NBC. Um, And uh, Lawless has upped his game at times. I mean, again, Lawless is very hit or miss, Chris. I mean, I'll watch him one one, uh, afternoon and and he will say nothing of value and give cliches and seem completely disinterested in the match he's forced to cover. Maybe his mind is on MLS or something else. Uh, Then I'll watch him the next day and he'll be uh, in tune. He'll be making poignant uh, uh, commentary, commentary. comments about about the action and he will be giving you some tactical analysis so mm-hmm. uh, i think lawless is just very inconsistent i mean i uh the people who don't like him tend to obsess on uh on those bad days and people who do like him tend to obsess on those good days i come down in between because i see it both mm-hmm. and, it, and it varies from match to match really yeah yeah and, and and out of all of the talent at fox he's the one that's getting paid the most amount of money so you would expect that consistency level to be at a high bar uh, at all times but there's there's I, I feel the same way too often there's some games he's just not interested in yeah, i mean he's not yeah. interested in, in, a, in a cameroon game or a game like that but if Germ- when germany's playing he's interested i mean yeah. that's just you know and i think maybe that's human nature right that's right. that's the way we probably all are exactly exactly all right so let me give a shout out to our sponsor seat geek uh, buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated but there is a better simpler way to buy and that's with seat geek seat geek is the smartest easiest way to get tickets to live events, and with SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Now, I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I've been using it for the last few months uh, to hunt for tickets for Swansea City's uh, games that they play in the summer in July uh, against Philadelphia, uh, North Carolina, and Richmond Kickers. And it's really easy to use. Uh, you just download the app, and within a few seconds, you can instantly find tickets uh, for any any games or any competitions that you're looking for. Now, SeatGeek is designed to make your, di- your ticket buying experience easier than ever. Uh, it saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Now, make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theatre. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WSTPOD today. That's promo code WSTPOD for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news and uh, to start off with some some sad news from the world of uh, U.S. soccer. Yeah, uh, Tony DeCicio passed away um, Monday night. It uh, wasn't announced till Tuesday. A really uh, tragic event. I was stunned. I, uh, <laughs> I mean, I... I uh, I re- when I got the press release, I reread it to make sure I wasn't misreading it. That yeah, was how me too. Uh, stunning it was. I, and I, wa- I want to say I saw him recently on either uh, ESPN or, or Lifetime or Fox or someplace. Um, maybe I didn't uh, dur- during a national team game. He- he's obviously worked as a commentator for both ESPN and Fox, coached the U.S. women's team uh, to that 1999 uh, women's 
World Cup triumph. Um, there was uh, there were great eulogies given for him by Julie Foudy and Kate McGrath on ESPN FC on the ESPN FC program. Uh, real stunner had a, had an important impact on the entire soccer landscape in the United States, particularly the women's game. So he's passed away at 68. A real tragedy. Yeah, and that was something that uh, I think we talked about maybe a couple of months ago, and he did a broadcast. Um, I think it was on Fox, but it was he, he started. He, it was him, and I forgot the other. Well, might, might, might have been Kate McGrath, but the two of them started off the broadcast, and within the first three or four minutes, um, you could tell that he really understood the game, and not only did he understand the game, but was really able to communicate it in a, in a really intelligent manner. Um, and the type of person that you'd want to always want to listen to, somebody that had a ton of knowledge, uh, but was really excited and passionate about the game. And of course, he worked as a, uh, a co-commentator for many years uh, for ESPN and Fox Sports and, and very much a, a familiar face that you would see um, on U.S. women's national team broadcasts and uh, definitely somebody that will be um, definitely, definitely missed and, and uh yeah, it's it's. Uh, I was shocked too, Kartik, when I got the the press release, and I had to reread it a couple of times too to make sure that that was actually what had happened. Just because I was so surprised, so shocked, and um, it's definitely going to be a, a great loss for um, U.S. soccer um, and 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 soccer um, around the world. Really, just a, definitely um, a shining figure there. Now on to other news. Um, Fubo TV has upgraded their cloud DVR uh, functionality to include ten DVR slots. So previously, I think the most number of uh, DVR recordings you could have there were three. It's now three. yeah, it's now ten, and and actually the the number of days that you can keep those recordings is for ten days too. So that's increased also. So uh, definitely opens it up to, and it's not just even. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a pretty big deal for me because I don't know how many times I've either used up my slots or have run out of the three day, have taped a, uh, let's say a La Liga game on Sunday, uh, and have intended to watch it early in the week, have not been able to, and it's gone by the time I have time Thursday or Friday. Yeah, uh, it's happened to me. I would say a half dozen times. So I'm, um, I didn't complain to Fubo, but I assume other people did, and um, I'm glad that they've done this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Fantastic news there. And then um, we have a, a new study that just came out, Kartik, this week. And uh, if you can talk more about that. Yeah, and I think this is really important um, for also MLS expansion. I mean, I just did a long, uh, one-hour-long show with Neil Morris, uh, my colleague uh, over at WRAL in, in the Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina yesterday, about MLS expansion. And I was making the point uh, based on on the point on my particular uh, why I think certain markets are going to get to MLS and others aren't based on Hispanic media more than even just general Nielsen rankings. And this just reinforces it. Um, I hadn't seen the empirical data at the time, but uh, um, I made this point that um, uh, the new Nielsen Research Commission by Univision uh, Los Fanaticos, the power, the passion and power of the Hispanic sports fan found Hispanics consume 64% more sports than non-Hispanic counterparts. And this is the point I was making specifically about San Antonio and Sacramento as potential MLS markets. They both have lower division teams now that have applied to move up to Major League Soccer. They are large Hispanic television markets. And I've made the point that the Hispanic uh, soccer audience and obviously the sports audience in general, based on the study, are more engaged. And I believe, uh, and Univision is uh, as important a media partner now for Major League Soccer as ESPN and Fox are uh, in many ways. I believe MLS is going to look at the, uh, uh, at the Hispanic uh, demographics of markets in making most of their expansion determinations. And this just kind of reinforces that. Yeah, that's a huge number when you think of about it. Sixty-four percent uh, Hispanics consume sixty-four percent more sports than non-Hispanic counterparts, and and to me, to me, that's uh, that's great news for soccer in this country too. Because oftentimes I hear people say, "Well, well, soccer isn't big in the U.S. or soccer is just still, still a minor sport," and and this and this goes to show that, uh, especially with the, the growing Hispanic uh, demographic in the United States, uh, as that gets bigger, uh, to me, soccer becomes more and more popular. Um, so yeah, fantastic news for soccer and interesting, uh, uh, interesting study. So, um, the last piece of news for this week is that, um, we mentioned Fubo just a few minutes ago. Now Fubo has announced that in the coming weeks, uh, they're going to be adding, a, uh, several new channels to the Fubo premier package. And those include CBS, the CBS sports network, uh, the CW, uh, pop and CBSN, which I believe is the news channel, but 
All, all in all, it'll bring a, a, in line about uh, more than 60 channels uh, to FUBU Premiere. So everything from CBS to NBC to Fox to Be In Sports, uh, Be In Sports Connect and everything else. So so good news for uh, people that uh, are into CBS. CBS, Not a lot of soccer in CBS, Kartik, but uh, there should be some good uh, additions there, especially with the NFL. Yeah, um, and we, we never know what's going to happen in terms of, uh, in terms of soccer rights going forward. I think uh, that growing Hispanic demographic you talk about uh, is going to tempt CBS uh, potentially to make some bids on soccer leagues go- going forward. Uh, at least that's my hope. Yeah, yeah, you would think so. I mean, just think about it. NBC five years ago, it was invisible. I mean, most people didn't watch NBC for soccer because there was hardly any soccer, if at any soccer, on NBC. So here's an opportunity here for um, for CBS, perhaps, in the near future. To, to- right, right. I mean, I remember getting... Uh, annoyed during the men's and women's Olympic tournaments in, in 2008, the Beijing Olympics, saying, gosh, these guys are covering soccer. They know nothing about the sport. I think if I remember correctly, they d- did bring in JP to call some games, which which relieved me uh, because he's one of the best uh, American voices. But they didn't have any understanding of how to how to broadcast the games. Then uh, Comcast acquires uh, NBC Universal a year or two later, and they make a commitment to both uh, Major League Soccer and the uh, Premier League. And obviously, continued to, to broadcast the Premier League and it brought the Premier League into uh, a mainstream uh, mainstream in this country. So um, you don't know what's going to happen with these larger TV networks. Trust me, they're all seeing the ratings uh, that we're going to talk about in a minute uh, for Telemundo and Univision and uh, Fox and ESPN and NBC and, and maybe uh, making decisions, just like Turner Sports did on UEFA Champions League. That came out of nowhere. I, when you obviously said that they were bidding uh, on this show. I thought, wow, I think they might get it because they, if they're bidding, they're bidding for a reason. Mm-hmm. That might happen with CBS down the road. Okay, well, speaking of TV ratings, uh, let's move on to that segment. And some big numbers came out this past week, uh, most of them for the Confederations Cup. Uh, some of the numbers just to throw out there, Kartik, uh, the Portugal against Mexico game on Telemundo, that had 2.4 million viewers on that one. Um, that game on FS1 had uh, 485,000 viewers. Um, that game was on a Sunday from uh, 11 Eastern to 1 p.m. Eastern. And uh, some of the other numbers, too, the Mexico against New Zealand game, uh, that one on Telemundo had 1.7 million people tuning in for that. And um, some other big numbers, too, 1.3 million for Cameroon against Chile on Telemundo. So all in all, some some big numbers. There's three games right there that had uh, over a million viewers on Telemundo. So, so far, Telemundo's doing quite well on the, the ratings. Uh, yeah. How, how do you explain, uh, and this is, this is a concern for Fox. Uh, let's, let's take the uh, Russian New Zealand number in isolation because that's, yeah. um, that's doesn't involve a, 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 a Latin American team. Uh, the number on um, Telemundo was about twice the number uh, or more than twice the number yeah. on FS1. Is, is that a, a concern for now? Next year, if you're Fox, or is that just an isolated, uh, isolated game? Uh, obviously, uh, Telemundo has built up the Confederations Cup uh, uh, to a greater extent, and they showed they showed the Russia New Zealand game was on was over the air. Actually, all these games have been over the air on Telemundo. Yeah, I would I would be concerned. I mean, I mean, like, like well, we just talked about the the, the ratings, uh, the study that showed that uh, Hispanics consume more sports than non-Hispanics. Uh, right. in the US so the Hispanic audience is probably more likely to watch soccer matches on Telemundo even if it's Russia against New Zealand where on both teams there's really no players of note of Hispanic descent or origin um, right. and it's twice as many as FS1 but at the same time too for FS1 they're probably in the same boat too where there's really really no Russians or New Zealanders of American context or relation there Um yeah, I, I think it's more that. I think it's just more that that, that audience is just more soccer inclined. How about Germany, Australia? Because that's that's different. There is a, obviously a following for Germany in the United States, and there are people who know the, a lot of Australian players because they play in the Premier League or play in England. So um, maybe not as much as in the past than when Viduka and Kuhl were around. Um, but um, again, in more than two, uh, twice the number on Telemundo for that one. That, that's got to be of concern. Yeah, yeah. Well, so throw out everything I just said a minute ago, because actually, Kartik, you're right, because um, the viewing number for the Telemundo was more than uh, double the number for FS1. And you would think Germany against Australia, that would be probably more of a non-Hispanic viewer might be interested in watching it on FS1 in English. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. So, so in, in looking at that, especially with Germany and, and with the Bundesliga on Fox, you would think that those numbers would, would be greater, but but they're not. So so maybe there's some issues that FS1 has where they're so rah-rah USA, whereas when it's not USA, they're having issues trying to bring in viewers to there. And maybe there's a lot of, uh, you mean, gringos or non-Hispanics switching over to Telemundo and watching the coverage over there instead of on Fox. Yeah, I, I think that this this is something we'll continue to monitor going forward, but this is a topic we keep bringing up and a lot of people don't want to hear about, the possibility that English language dominant viewers would watch uh, international games on Telemundo or Univision if the alternative was Fox, and, and we're seeing that play out. I mean, I the Russia-New Zealand numbers and the Australia-Germany numbers tell me something. Uh, let's see if it changes as a tournament wears on or if that's part of a trend. Yep. So let's move on to listener mailbag. Uh, first one up is Anthony Bello uh, through email. And he says, I have a couple of questions on the next Premier League television deal. If, there, if they are not allowing the 3 p.m. games local time in the UK to be on television because of match of the day, that's, uh, that's up there with NBC embargoing Olympic coverage uh, for prime time. How does Match of the Day do in the ratings and how many people in, the, in Britain have access to Sky and BT? So let me just pause his email there for a second. So Match of the Day uh, in the ratings, I don't have the ratings numbers in front of me, but Match of the Day is uh, in the UK, it's an institution. It's most, if not all soccer fans are watching that that program to catch up on all the, the games for the day and most of them are not televised. So that's their main way to watch, watch, see what happens, not just the goal highlights, but also the analysis. So the Alan Shearer's of the world and uh, the Gary Lineker's, et cetera. So ratings wise, I'm not sure what the, the actual numbers, but that would be one of the top shows uh, for football, soccer in the UK by uh, no question about it. How many people in the in Britain have access to Sky and BT? Uh, it depends. If you're a sports fan or a soccer fan, more than likely, you're going to have access to Sky and BT. Now, my relatives, all my relatives I'm staying with, none of them are football fans. None of them have Sky. None of them have BT. So they're just going your kind of basic uh, cable package, essentially. But if, you, if you're a soccer fan, especially, or a sports fan in the UK, most of them would have Sky and BT because otherwise they wouldn't be able to watch all these Premier League matches. Uh, Anthony Bello goes on. He says, uh, the other question I have is if... Uh, if every match there um, was broadcast, how big would the demand be for a Palace, Crystal Palace against Swansea 3 p.m. match? And would there be a demand for 3 p.m. matches in the Championship, League One and League Two? Well, so the 3 p.m. local time uh, on a Saturday, that's the 10 a.m. Eastern time kickoff. Um, I don't think that, that it's going to happen. It's, it's kind of, I think a lot of people uh, would like it to happen so they can watch their favorite team play away. Um, maybe and it's, I mean, it's not far from. It, maybe it's too far for them to to actually travel to that game and have that game be away uh, and watch it that way. I don't, I don't see that ever changing. At least not in probably in the next ten years. So I, I think it's a, a non-starter for me. And then lastly, he says, um, uh, "What does he say? What I would do is sell the three PM matches like the any other package to Sky and BT." And then they would sell it where you could buy a single game or a team season or every game in a season. So I think he's looking at that almost like with the um, I follow, which football is league. yeah, with the football league package where you can subscribe to a package where you can subscribe to say uh, Newcastle United get promoted to the Premier League, and I, and I want to watch every single Newcastle United game, no matter what the kickoff time is. But I still think that um, the UK authorities and and, and the leagues would clamp down on that and try to discourage uh, any 3 p.m. UK time kickoff games from happening just because that would uh, have a big impact, a negative impact on the, the, the attendances throughout the UK. Yeah. Next up is uh, Armando Diaz, and he says, uh, at first glance, I was disappointed by the, the television numbers for the Premier League. However, there was an aspect which I did not hear mentioned during the podcast. If I missed it, I apologize, but I do re- I do not remember listening to the the, uh, the factor of police at many English league games. Here in the States, we expect ri- rivalry games to be played in prime time to generate maximum potential viewing audiences. In England, this is not the case. The audience should be made aware that police 
can and often exercise their abilities to force kickoff times to start earlier. Case in point, Aston Villa fans invading the pitch after defeating West Brom to advance to the, to the semi-final of the FA Cup back in 2015. Authorities believe uh, supporters had too much time to plough themselves with drink, uh, ply themselves to, uh, with drink to prize the match. And for this reason, I do not think we will see Merseyside, Manchester or North London derbies uh, contested at 6pm uh, local time on on a Sunday, for example, which is kind of the the theory or the idea I, I put out there on last week's podcast. Uh, Kartik, um, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I think that's a great point by Armando. I, I have noticed that through the years with the Manchester Derby in particular, uh, the uh, start time is being fixed to uh, the earliest possible start time on a uh, on a Sunday morning uh, or uh, the early kickoff at times uh, on the Saturday morning, the 12.45 uh, p.m., uh, or 12 now 12:30 standard uh, British Standard Time kickoff, and we've seen it in particular. Now we don't have to worry about it next year because Sunderland's been relegated. But with the Sunderland Newcastle, the uh, the the Tyne Weir Derby, the Tyne Weir Derby, where uh, they they will kick that game off as early as possible yeah. uh, for that reason. And of course, that would be a very attractive television game. So uh, this point is well taken. I'm not not sure as much about the the London derbies. Um, I, I'd have to think about that, but definitely the Manchester Derby, the preference has been to kick that game off earlier rather than later. And same thing with the uh, Merseyside Derby, the Everton-Liverpool game. You don't see that in um, the uh, 5.30 p.m. kickoff or uh, on a Saturday or the uh, 4 p.m. kickoff on, on a Sunday ever uh, for that reason. So uh, very good point, Armando. Uh, I wish we had thought of that ourselves last week. Yeah. Uh, next, next up is uh, Clayton Davis, and he sent in an email. He says, uh, interesting that you bring up the topic of weather delays for DC United games. While I agree that weather delays for games in the summer is fairly common, snow delays are also something to worry about up here. Not to mention that in, pre- in recent years, the temperatures in the winter have gotten pretty cold from time to time. So that goes back to what we were saying about. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I agree with that. I agree with that, but again, I, I think um, this is a one-sided debate for the most part. I mean, again, when I had this M- MLS expansion conversation yesterday with Neil Morris on WRAL up in the Raleigh Durham area, uh, this came up: how Phoenix, uh, Raleigh Durham, Tampa, St. Pete, San Antonio, all these markets that are s- seeking to get into MLS in warmer weather areas uh, and areas with lots of thunderstorms are impacted by the MLS calendar in a way that I, I'm not sure the teams in the Northeast would be impacted more. Now, uh, I agree with Clayton. There probably will be weather delays if you play through the winter. And, and I, my proposal always has had a six to eight week winter break mm-hmm. like Germany has. But, um, and that affects television, right? And, and television is, is supposed to be the driver of this. Uh, but I'm not sure you'll have more delays. That's the thing. You will have delays. I'm not denying that. Uh, will you have more delays? Will you have more dangerous weather conditions for fans uh, to travel in and players to play in than you would if you played on a different calendar? I don't I'm not sure you would. Right. Yeah, yeah, d- definitely. I, and I think there is a way to structure the calendar to such a way that it, it would work better uh, for most teams and, and not be the kind of the craziness that we, we get now where in the summer we got all these I mean, thunderstorms and then we still got uh, I mean, snow in March um, in some places. But but yeah, that's, that's a whole other topic for a whole other day. Um, and last but not least, we have a comment f- through Facebook, and this is from Raymond Orozco, and I believe he's alluding to Fox's Confederations Cup uh, coverage thus far, and he says, can Fox please bring back Bobby McMahon? Kartik, what do you think about that one? Uh, that's a no-brainer to me. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I'm not sure Bobby McMahon fits with the tenor of Fox's coverage, but yeah, of course, I would bring him back in a heartbeat. And the stuff he writes, if you... Um, Check out his work on Forbes, which is kind of random when, when, when he uh, writes an article about football finance or just kind of the business of football. It, it's usually spot on. And I think uh, in terms of uh, the kind of information and analysis he provides there, it's probably better than just about anyone who writes about that subject other than maybe um, the Swiss Ramble. Yeah, and it's probably better than you, what you would hear from him on television because he wouldn't be given that amount of time to kind of go into detail about, I mean, whether it's um, El Clasico and the finances behind what makes that uh, such a, a revenue-generating uh, game, just as one example. But yeah, I would encourage everyone listening, if you are a fan of Bobby McMahon, or even if you're not, is just Google Forbes uh, Bobby McMahon and you'll see his column that uh, gets updated uh, uh, every so often. 
So la- the last segment of the show, Kartik, is uh, our featured topic of the week. And this one is one that I think uh, a lot of people have been talking about, and that's the impact of the video assistant referee. Uh, and in this case, uh, for, for this show, on the TV viewing experience. Now, Kartik, uh, like I said earlier in the show, I, I haven't watched a ton of Confer- Confederation Cup games. I have watched a few, um, but so far I'm not impressed. And so far, um, yes, it's a trial, um, but uh, I think we have to be careful what we ask for because, so for, well, this has been for years, probably decades at this point, people are saying, okay, video technology, we need it in the game. Okay, that's easy to, to say, but it's hard to do. And I think what we've seen thus far, Kartik, has been that uh, there's still a lot of kinks to work out and uh, there's still a lot of question marks about how to do this in such a way where it's going to be not just a great experience for the TV viewer, but it's also going to make sense as far as the flow of the game and and soccer without uh, slowing it down too much. But uh, what are your initial thoughts about uh, video assistant referees? Uh, it's been it's been horrible. Thankfully, uh, uh, Dr. Joe has been in uh, the Fox studio to kind of explain or on the phone or wherever um, they have him to kind of explain what's going on, because otherwise it would be dead air. I think the commentators are confused through no fault of their own. Uh, the commentators calling the matches, whether on Telemundo or on Fox or, or ITV or in the UK. And uh, there's really no clear um clear timeline uh, as to how things shake out. We saw in which game was a New Zealand, Mexico mm-hmm. controversy at the end of the match and a lot of confusion um, with the center ref and VAR. And these are some of the top ref, uh, referees in the world, by the way, but this is a new tool for them. And they've had to go through kind of some sort of um, remedial training as well. Um, counterattack, uh, New Zealand down to one uh, clear kind of cynical foul to, to break up a promising attack. Um, and free kick, yellow card free kick for New Zealand. And then you have VAR brought in, uh, and there's a delay. And then the free kick is taken, but then the referee has to stop the action again. Another delay. And this is all very confusing for the commentators. It's terrible for the viewer. It's... um, It's reminiscent of sports in the United States. uh, And... and, um, also threatens from a television perspective to push the games beyond the two hour window. And now this is very important because one of the the most reliable and comforting things about football, I think to the television viewer about this sport versus uh, American football or American basketball or baseball or whatever um, is, and hockey is that you have a tight window. If you DVR a game, you know, it's going to start at a certain time. You know, it's going to end at a certain time. Uh, If you have a, a place to get, if you have to take your kids somewhere, you can, you can schedule yourself within those tight windows and television networks accordingly can schedule programming based on those windows. When, I mean, everybody complains who watches American sports. Oh, why does ESPN only have a three hour window for college football when they know the game's going to go four hours uh, because of all the replays and, and uh, other stoppages and, and same thing with college basketball. Uh, soccer slash football association football is the one sport you can still set your watch by. Yeah, yeah, and um, and, and, that, and that's particularly from a programming perspective, and and that's one of my concerns too, especially with it uh, being in the video assistant ref, uh, review, and they pause the game, and then you kind of you're watching, you mean kind of the split screen, and you're watching the, the referee. My concern is is that the broadcasters will start uh, figuring out ways to put TV commercials into those into those time slots. Which is to me, it disrupts the, the the flow of the game, and oftentimes too. I mean that that instance contact that you mentioned, the Mexico New Zealand game. To me, if you if you didn't have video assistant review implemented or used at all, my guess is probably the referee would have, if he saw it, I, mean, I believe he saw it, would have given a straight red card for that uh, that, that lunge kind of uh, tackle from behind. That should have been a straight red. But instead of that, you had the whole confusion. You were like, okay, get ready for the free kick. You know that they're reviewing the tape, but they continue to play, and then they, they stop it and then restart it. But before they restart it, they get, hand out two yellow cards. But just the flow of information, the way it's working, is really confusing. I think the referee looked confused. I mean, he was waiting for kind of the input from the, from the booth, I guess. And then we were confused, the viewer. We don't know what's happening. Uh, and also the commentators. The commentators, the broadcasters don't know what's happening either. So one thing I, I do like about NFL is at least when they're mic'd up, the referee switches on his mic and, and explains uh, on further review whatever whatever the, the call is. 
that I like better. Although I have a hard job picturing, imagining that happening in soccer. So, so thus far I've been really un- unimpressed. And in some ways it seems that uh, the, the game of soccer, at least for this trial, it's relying too much on the technology. It's relying too much on the video, on the, the VAR, um, for lack of a better term. What I do think should happen is that it should be used um, less frequently, and it should only be used in moments of the game where it's completely necessary, such as a, a penalty decision or a very close offside decision. And for the rest of the game, I think really it should be up to the referees to I mean, use their own eyes and, and ears and, and um, the team of uh, match officials there to make the right decision. Because right now it's just it's too much stop, start, stop, start, and just kind of chaos on the pitch. Is it possible that um, that that they're they're doing it this way because they're trying to sabotage the system? Because you could have very basic replays like what you're talking about, um, uh, just a penalty decision or close offside calls, like the offside call at the end of the Chile Cameroon game. That made sense. Um, is it possible that they're they're they're, they're overdoing it and over? Uh, it's it's far beyond what we were promised in order order to kind of turn public opinion against it because I've been I've been an advocate uh, albeit a a kind of a quiet advocate for technology in the game but uh these for this first week of the confederation cup is is kind of flipped me on that yeah for me I I don't trust FIFA at all so to me it seems to be kind of a way to I I think it's just it's the first time that they're using it so it is taking um more time than it would say so a year from now it'd be much faster but I still think that FIFA is trying to figure out is if there's ways to insert TV commercials or breaks into games where they could allow for TV commercials and I I wouldn't be surprised if they're thinking of it or at least having discussions of it um outside of FIFA, but maybe FIFA talking to some of the top broadcasters saying, okay, is there a way that we can include a, a commercial or advert uh, in the game um, and, and maybe take, take, I mean, take two minutes to make a decision? I hope not, that's not happening, but that's the feeling I get. And, I, and, again, and again, I don't trust FIFA, so um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if those conversations are happening. But, but I, don't, I, don't think, I, don't, I don't think it's a, a way to just um, – do such a bad a bad implementation that they're trying to uh, get the public to say ah we don't need video assistant referees I think I think it's just uh, it's just it's brand new uh, I mean they even had the referee in that Mexico New Zealand game go off to the sidelines up to the touchline on the pitch and look at the the the, the, uh, the big massive TV screen to review the play and then came back so um, so they're trying to make it work I, I just think that thus far it is it, it's failing and. Um, I don't know if it's, I mean, to me, I think it's a good opportunity to test it out, especially in a tournament like this, where there's not as much on the line. But so far, um, I'm not impressed. And actually, so far, I'm actually, say six months ago, I would have said that I was disappointed with the Premier League uh, because they hadn't uh, announced any plans to implement video assistant referees. And uh, the Premier League, the reason why they said they weren't going to do it yet is they wanted to see how it happened or see how it worked out for other leagues, such as Major League Soccer, such as the Bundesliga, and such as FIFA, before they implemented it. And I think at this moment in time, the Premier League made the right decision in terms of just holding off and seeing how this thing plays out before they decide whether or not to uh, implement it and incorporate it into their league. Yeah, so uh, I, I agree with that, and, and I want to. Um, the last bit of judgment I'm going to withhold is based on what will happen in Major League Soccer the second half of this season. Howard Webb uh, has come over to the United States to um, to to lead the effort and the implementation of VAR. He's already been on the ESPN FC show, uh, great get the uh, the other day uh, by Dan Thomas and Sebastian Salazar and, and the team there to get him on and to discuss um, some. Poor calls or questionable calls in Major League Soccer uh, the previous weekend and discuss how video assistant referee would not necessarily reverse those calls, but would uh, be implemented, be used as a tool to assist the center ref um, in the um, the handling of that of those specific circumstances and uh, obviously Howard Webb is very good on television he's one of the best referees in the world now retired referees in the world uh, so. His um, explanations were more soothing to me and more convincing to me mm-hmm. and, and really kind of explained how it was going to be used as a tool, how the judgment was going to still um, be made quickly uh, with the assistant of these VARs. Uh, then came the Confederations Cup. Yeah. And um, yeah. 
the, the mess that has, it has been in the, in the last week. So perhaps with Howard Webb leading the effort, maybe he should have been leading FIFA's effort. He yeah. would have been a logical guy having officiated a, a World Cup final and a Champions League final and a uh, Euro final. But uh, FIFA has other ideas about that uh, to, to implement it. Maybe MLS will have a more uh, a tighter model because I think also in the United States, this issue of delays and replay is a bigger issue for a lot of soccer fans because a lot of fans of the sport in this country have been exposed to American sports and don't like what they see there, mm-hmm. which are uh, indefinite delays. And for broadcasters, and in this case, Fox in particular, um, the, the fact that you a two-hour window then becomes a two-and-a-half-hour window because of replays. Yeah. And um, uh, people uh, uh, just quit DVRing games because they think the game might run over or all of those sorts of um, unintended consequences of things. So uh, let's see how it goes in Major League Soccer. Early returns are not promising, but um, maybe uh, the MLS implementation will be different and convince us that uh, uh, this has an, uh, an opportunity to work at the broader level. And if it's going to work at the broader level, maybe you need to get a guy like a Howard Webb in there yeah. to, um, to help implement it uh, based on what I assume will be a different uh, trajectory he takes here in, in the United States to implement it. I, yeah, I think it, it, it can work uh, right now with the Confederations Cup. It's just too much. They're, they're just relying on, on, on it too heavily. And I think if they roll it back a little bit and uh, tighten it up in terms of communication and trying to figure out how this whole process is going to work, that, that it could be implemented. But I think we're still a long way off from uh, getting anywhere close to, to where it's going to be uh, to a point where it actually is going to be fair and imbalanced. And I think we saw that too with just that skirmish at the end of the Mexico-New Zealand game. We had almost both teams you mean, in, in, uh, kind of fighting right there on the pitch and then the uh, indecision afterwards and the, the amount of time it took. And at the end of the day, I mean, there was no red cards. And I thought, okay, here's a massive fight you have with players, I mean, uh, a bad foul, some pushing, shoving. Um, and it was just like a really poor uh, example of, of uh, uh, how poorly uh, VAR was in this case in terms of uh, we're supposed to help the referee. If anything, it seemed to hinder the referee or hurt the referee. So, Kartik, uh, where can listeners uh, find you on the internet if they want to uh, hit you hit you up with questions or feedback? You can find me at KKFLA737 on Twitter. That's the easiest place to find me. Uh, uh, my name, Kartik Krishnayar, on Facebook and on uh, Google+. And, um, and, and the various sites I write for, including World Soccer Talk. Excellent. Well, thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday or Friday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, Audioboom, and worldsoccertalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review. And Kartik, what should they do? Enjoy your football. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.